Good morning, friends. Welcome to another beautiful day in God's creation and another episode of Rise Up with John Kowalski. Today, just three days out from the possibly biggest election in our lifetimes, I want to talk about a few topics uh, that are important to the election. Um, I'm going to work through this quickly because it's a lot of information, but I think it's important and, and it's the, the issues that you possibly are most interested in because they're definitely the issues that I've been most interested in and the issues that I've seen people struggle most with, whether Christian or not, um, but especially Christians these days. Okay, so we're going to, I'm going to dive right into it. I am going to do some segment breaks in this. Uh, just for my own sanity, it gets difficult to talk uh, this long um, all in one spot. Uh, so I will break it up a little bit and uh, hopefully that'll help you listeners as well. So we're going to start uh, first with race relations. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about Biden and Harris first. Um, I guess probably Biden is best known for his 1994 crime bill. Um, Harris, uh, her track record as an L.A. prosecutor, uh, reports, news reports, both left and right, have claimed that uh, between Biden and Harris, they're responsible for locking up more young black men than any two people in American history. Uh, There is no criticism uh, about their stance on crime now, specifically to uh, due to rioting and non-peaceful protests. Uh, there was no criticism until the polling told them that the riots seemed to be helping Trump, and then they started coming out with uh, pushback against violent protests. Uh, Biden didn't denied that Antifa even exists, claiming they were just an idea in uh, the debate against Trump. Uh, Harris has been promoting the Minnesota Freedom Fund, uh, which resulted in rioters being bailed out to commit more crimes. Uh, They certainly have not been the voice of reason in this. Uh, Now, I'll grant you, and we'll get to Trump in a minute, but he hasn't exactly always been the voice of reason either with commentary like, um, uh, when the looting starts, the shooting starts and stuff like that, that he said, um, not well thought out. I still believe that he should be having his handlers and his public relations people, uh, work with him on his Twitter account instead of uh, it being live fire, Um, but it is what it is. Um, We know who he is, uh, and we know what he says, and we know that the policies that he comes up with uh, are more in line with Christian uh, beliefs and biblical standards than his opponents. Um, That brings me to my next issue under race relations is critical race theory. Uh, The left holds to this critical race theory 
in case you don't know what it is or haven't done a lot of research into it, it recognizes that racism is ingrained into the fabric of the system of American society. Uh, the individual racist need not exist. Now, keep that in mind for a minute. The individual racist need not exist. To note that institutional racism is pervasive in the dominant culture. Uh, this is an analytical lens that critical race theory uses in examining existing power structures. Critical race theory identifies that these power structures are based on white privilege and white supremacy, which perpetuates the marginalization of people of color. Um, the major themes in critical race theory um, that they use to, to promote this is storytelling. The use of narrative to illuminate experiences of racial oppression. I'm sorry. Storytelling is the use of narrative to illuminate experiences of racial oppression. Uh, I think we know what narrative means, right? It means I'm going to tell you my version of the story and it's going to be the only version you hear so you will eventually believe it. Um... There is racial, I'm sorry, um, storytelling, narrative, and truth are not walking hand in hand in our society these days. Uh, second is revisionist interpretations. Um, U.S. civil rights legislation was not passed because people of color were discriminated against. Rather, they want us to believe that it was enacted in order to improve the image of the United States in the eyes of third world countries that the U.S. needed as allies during the Cold War. Um, never in American history have we needed third world allies. We bail out the third world on a consistent basis uh, with funding for education and resources and, and helping them to build um, water systems and things like that in third world countries. Um, certainly we've never needed third world countries to come to our aid, especially in the Cold War with Russia. We were the forefront of that pushback against communism. Uh, next, intersectional theory. Uh, the examination of race, sex, class, national origin, and sexual orientation, and how their combination plays out in various settings. Uh, how the needs of the Latina are different from the needs of a black male, uh, and then whose needs are the ones that get promoted. Um, intersectional theory is not a very far step from segregation. Okay, if we start treating every person differently and separating them into racial, gender, um, sexual orientation categories. We're just resegregating our society, but we're using more separations. We're, we're making the separated sections even smaller than they ever were, and we're ensuring that none of those sections intermingle or uh, ever get to understand or know what the other is thinking. Uh, next is structural determinism, uh, exploration of how the structure of legal thought or culture influences its content, uh, whereby a particular mode of thought or widely shared practice determines significant social outcomes, usually occurring without conscious knowledge. Uh, as such, theor theorists of this posit that our system cannot redress certain kinds of wrongs. So, 
here we are, there's no solution. So we have a problem, there's no solution, and the Democrats are telling us they're the only one who can fix it, but they're also still telling us that there is no solution. So I think we should take them at their word, there is no solution, and I think we ought to be pushing back on what the real problem is. Um, that brings us right to white privilege. Um, in their uh, critical race theory major themes. Uh, the belief in the notion of a myriad of social advantages, benefits, courtesies that come with being a member of the dominant race. Uh, a clerk not following you around in the store might be an example of this. A uh, person, a uh, white person crossing the street to avoid a person of color uh, might be another example of this. Um, the left has has radicalized this theory of white privilege and started to talk about things like living in the suburbs as a white privilege, uh, having a safe, uh, safe streets and safe environment to raise your kids has been called white privilege by people like uh, AOC and other left Democrats, far left Democrats. Um, and then uh, next is microaggression. Um, they get, if you notice, they get to a point where they're so hard to even understand how they're happening, but we're being told they're happening, so we just need to believe it and know that we can never fix it and somehow act accordingly. I don't, I don't know the answer there. I'm sorry, but uh, you'll have to make that decision for yourself. So microaggression is the belief in the notion that sudden, stunning, or dispiriting transactions have the power to mar the everyday oppressed individuals. Um, these include small acts of racism consciously or unconsciously perpetrated. Um, conscious racist activity or words is racism. Unconscious thoughts or uh, not actions, because if you don't act on it, you're not acting racist. If you unconsciously think in a racist way, but you overcome that with reason and don't act it out, then I would argue you're not racist, okay? You're doing your best, just like we do as Christians, to fight sin, right? We're always going to be sinners, uh, but we're always going to have a temptation to sin. So if we have the temptation to sin, but we don't sin, then in that moment we are not a sinner. We will at some point have an urge to sin and do it, and then regret it later, uh, ask for forgiveness. Uh, does that make us a sinner? Yes. Does that make us evil? I would argue no. Uh, I think our actions have to speak a little bit louder than the thoughts that we have that we combat and overcome, all right? Empathetic fa fallacy is the next one. Believing that one can change a narrative by offering an alternative narrative in hopes that the listener's empathy will quickly and reliably take over. I see this happening, and, and, and it's true, and some portions of critical race theory are... Uh, are factual, but they take it to such an extreme where they, they villainize anybody who doesn't agree with what they're saying. Uh, empathetic fallacy might be the situation where somebody is telling you about a situation where, let's say, they were followed in a store, and you come back with a story about how 
something happened to you that's really not related, but you're trying to connect with them, but you're doing it in a way that diminishes the story they were trying to tell you. So I can see that happening, but I think that's just a human need to connect with the other person. I think you need to let them have their narrative, have their story, have their uh, say, and ask instead, what can I do to help? Is there something I can do to help you through this situation? Instead of trying to either trump their situation or show that you understand, which maybe you really can't. Uh, Next is a common term that we hear these days, institutionalized racism or structural racism or systematic racism. Um, That's arguing that the structures and policies and practices, the norms uh, resulting in differential access to good services and opportunities of a society are by race. Institutional racism is normative, sometimes legalized, and often manifests in inherited disadvantage. Um, It is structural, having been absorbed by our institutions of custom, practice, and law, so uh, there need not be an identifiable offender. Again, with the not an individual offender, you're guilty by being born, I guess, into a system they claim let them down. Um, Indeed, institutional racism is often evident as inaction in the face of need, manifesting itself both in material conditions and access to power. Uh, With regards to the former, examples include differential access to quality education, sound housing, gainful employment, appropriate medical facilities, and a clean environment. Um, I would argue again here that that's not institutionalized racism, that's poor voting practices. Um, We have the opportunity to change who leads us if they're not doing a good job. And we can see even more greatly lately that in some of our more radically Democrat-run cities and states, uh, they are not there to make the life of their people better or even safe. Um, in the face of true trial in during these riots and violence, uh, they've asked police to step down and stand down and allowed the rioters to have free reign to destroy inner city environments of the people that they claim that they're rioting for. So... It seems ridiculous to me. You're also they're also talking about quality education. So why do the, do the Democrats pushed by teachers unions so opposed to school choice? Uh, school choice would create competition, would improve schools and educations overall, which data has proven, as opposed to just dumping money into the school systems. Uh, much like Obama did during his term. So, you know, he put $7 billion into schools. Scores didn't go up at all. And all they did was create more administrative jobs. Uh, again, it's the big big government mentality. It's not fixing the problem. It's just throwing money at it. Um, school choice probably would do a better job of fixing the problem, at least the data so far has 
proven that out. Most of the information I got for you in this critical race theory portion is from their website. Let's talk quickly about what Trump and Pence believe. This is from the Brookings Institute and brookings.edu. Trump's first step act uh, has reformed Biden's crime bill. Uh, Alice Johnson and Tanisha Bannister were among, among others have been released from long prison sentences for crimes that did not justify such long sentences, um, but the Biden crime bill did require them uh, minimum as minimum sentences. Um, both of them spoke at the Republican National Convention, so if you didn't have a chance to hear them, uh, please uh, Google it or look on YouTube. I'm sure their, their speeches are there. Uh, Trump has offered... Uh, the National Guard to cities that have violent rioting uh, and increased crime for months, but the governors in those cities, all Democrat governors, have resisted because it's an election year and they're afraid that if if the president affects change in these cities and calms them back down, that it's going to be uh, to his benefit in the polls or at the polls. Um, Other things that he's done in regard to fighting crime in the cities uh, more fairly. Operation Legend, which was named after a four-year-old boy, uh, Legend Talaferro, who was killed while sleeping in his home in Kansas City. Um, He also threatened to cut city and state funding to jurisdictions who are allowing, supporting, or ignoring the violence. Uh, He named New York, Minnesota, Chicago, Chicago. not Minnesota in general, but Minneapolis and Portland, uh, in those cuts. He's saying that if you're going to allow your city to be burned down, the American taxpayer should not have to pay to rebuild it. Uh, He's currently fighting Pelosi's additions uh, to the um, stimulus package, which uh, would allow cities who are being poorly run and allowed to be burned down some $375 billion uh, of condition-free bailouts uh, for their fiscally irresponsible choices um, and only sets aside $175 billion for further testing and treatment and other health-related expenses. I'll get more into that a little bit later because I do have a section on stimulus and why uh, there's a fight over it. Um, Trump did remove critical race theory training from government agencies. Uh, Russ Vaught, the director of office management and budget, cited reports of executive branch employees being taught in these classes, these critical race theory classes, uh, designed to uh, educate employees about white privilege and other concepts that virtually all white people contribute to racism. So again, they mentioned multiple times that it's not an individual thing. Your individual choices and beliefs are irrelevant. You're racist anyway, just by your skin color. And I'm pretty sure that's the definition of racism, Uh, judging somebody by their skin color and not by their actions. uh, That's the definition. Uh, These types of trainings not only run counter to the fundamental beliefs for which our nation has stood since its inception, but they also engender division and resentment within the federal workforce. And as these same classes are put out to the rest of the uh, world, uh, 
Um, we're going to see more of that separation. Uh, in the next segment, I'm going to talk about foreign policy and maybe start to get into the economy. So I'll be right back. All right, friends, welcome back. Um, I'm back. We're going to talk next about foreign policy. I'm going to start again with Obama-Biden because that's the data that we have on what Biden is likely to do. Then I'm going to tell you a little bit about what he's said he's going to do. And then we'll talk about what President Trump has done. Uh, First of all, Obama-Biden, they demonized Israel. Uh, They failed to move the uh, embassy to Jerusalem as they promised. Uh, They weren't the only ones to do that. All of the presidents or most of the presidents in my lifetime have said that they were going to do it and did not come through and actually do it. Um, Obama did promise to do it. He did not. Uh, He completely gave up on relations with North Korea. He was arguably and agreeably one of the worst uh, foreign policy presidents that we've had. He did nothing but apologize for America for things that the world perceived of us uh, and then created policy based on it, giving up on relations with North Korea, claiming that they couldn't be accomplished uh, and then criticized Trump when he did accomplish them, uh, saying that he was giving in and uh, that they were now buddy-buddy and trying to call uh, a sitting president uh trying to cast aspersions on him because he was having relations with a person who could not, uh, they could not accomplish. So it's, it's more of the same, right? If I can't do it, it can't be done. And if you do end up doing it, then you're cheating. Uh, because I would have cheated to get it done, but I couldn't even get it done by cheating. Uh, so it's, it's this circular logic that we continue to see. Uh, they also caved into China through trade agreements uh, and through massive tax increases uh, on businesses, forced them to move to countries like China and others, sending hundreds of thousands of manufacturing jobs there, as we talked about in my last podcast. Um, we talked about job losses. Uh they're going to be even more. Uh, they've already uh, talked about raising taxes, so we'll get into that. Uh, so a lot of those jobs went to China when President Trump came back into office. He's been tough on the world. He's forced the world to pony up their fair share, including China, which has gotten some pushback from China. And of course, the left jumps on that and says, oh, he's making an enemy out of China. I'm sorry, they're they're not really our friends. The best we can hope for is uh, a working business partner uh, in certain areas. But we do not need our manufacturing jobs going there. We need them here. Uh, And then the last thing, they signed the terrible Iran deal, which gave them $1.8 billion and a path to nuclear armament. Uh, Trump killed that deal almost immediately, calling it one of the worst deals ever made. And I would have to agree. You don't take a country who hates you, who has said that they want to uh, have a nuclear arm, uh, a nuclear capability, uh, and then give them the funding to have that nuclear capability 
when you know that you in Israel and maybe a few other countries in the Middle East would be their primary targets. Um, This is just not smart at all. Uh, Biden, uh, it personally, or in his talking points and during the primary and during the debates and rallies, uh, has criticized Trump's relationship with North Korea, which, while still strained, they haven't fired a missile over Japan since uh, having negotiations with President Trump. Um, Biden did admit that Middle East peace deals were a credit to Trump and then walked it back almost immediately. Uh, And then based on recent revelations of his family dealings with China, Russia, Kazakhstan, possibly Iran, and other unfriendly countries that Biden was the front man for while vice president, he may be compromised when dealing with these countries uh, if he is elected. Uh, Some people are even speculating on whether or not he could get a top secret clearance with the accusations made against him. We'll see more on that. I know a lot of people believe that this is some kind of disinformation. Um, That clown Adam Schiff started crying Russian disinformation almost immediately. It's like, it's his go-to. I think he wakes up in the morning, the alarm goes off, and he screams Russian disinformation. So, um, we'll have to see more on this, but it looks like the emails and all of it are credible. We just don't know to what level Biden was complicit or even or involved at this point. So we'll wait and see on that one. Uh, Trump, on the other hand, moved the embassy to Jerusalem, recognized the Golan Heights, uh, has done amazing work stabilizing the Middle East uh, by eliminating the Islamic State Caliphate. Uh, this paved the way for the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Serbia, Kosovo, and Sudan to all recognize uh, Israel's sovereignty uh, and work peace deals with Israel and each other in some cases like Serbia and Kosovo. Uh, He's been nominated now for two or three Nobel Peace Prizes because of it, which is incredible. This is the president they claimed in 2016 would get us into numerable wars uh, and would be the downfall of American civilization through war. Not only has he not started a war, but he's preventing wars throughout the world right now. Um, Trump got involved with North Korea when they were testing missiles uh, and firing them over Japan. We talked about that briefly. He didn't softball Kim Jong-un, and he was criticized for it, but they haven't had missile tests since, Uh, at least not over Japan or or anywhere where it would put anybody else in danger. I don't think they've had any. Uh, Trump renegotiated with NATO, insisting that the uh, member countries pay their fair share. We were paying incredible amounts of money, billions of dollars, uh, to subsidize those countries, even though they weren't paying their fair share in in the NATO um, treaty. Uh, he forced them to step up and pay those bills, which paved the way for the tax cuts that he was able to give to the American people and American business. So that money didn't just disappear. It went back into our government and and allowed us to not have to pay so much as the individual citizen because the countries that we help on a daily 
basis, uh, were picking up their own tabs a little bit more. Um, this uh, Secretary General uh, Jen Stoltenberg said, This is unprecedented progress with NATO. It's making NATO stronger in general, too. Uh, he said of the 4.6% spending hike by the member nations in 2019. Not us. We paid less because they ponied up more. Stoltenberg also noted that by the end of 2020, uh, those nations will have spent $130 billion more since 2016, the year Trump was elected. This $130 billion as we discussed, allowed for tax cuts and things like that. The Democrats attacked Trump for, quote, destabilizing relations with allies. Uh, I would argue that our allies, if they want to be allies, need to be full allies and fully on board. They need to be paying some of their own way. Um, and then finally, we talked about Trump killing the Iran deal, um, which... Uh, pave the way for those peace treaties. Next, we're going to get into the economy. Um, I'm going to start with uh, taxes uh, in a Washington Post online article by Heather Long. She kind of outlined uh, some of Biden's uh, tax plans and initiatives and, and what they were under uh, Obama. So I'm going to try to do this side by side. So bear with me um, <clears throat> so that I I don't want to confuse everybody, but I want you to get the kind of information that matches up, okay? Um, Biden's plan will uh, raise taxes up to 39.6%, uh, will cap itemized deductions at 28%, capital gains benefits would disappear above a million dollars. Uh, it does hike up the child tax credit to $8,000. Um, corporate tax rate goes back to 28%. Uh, he floated a Social Security payroll tax raise up to 12.4% that would potentially be split by the employer. So that's more taxes on our employers as well. Uh, Biden would also revert the exemption to $5 million on state taxes. Then I'll get into what it is now when I get to the Trump side of it. Um, there was a meme about Biden instituting a 3% property tax across the board. Um, I did a, a bunch of research into this, and I'm no lawyer, but um, I, I find that it's largely false or at least misleading uh, to say that he would institute a 3% property tax across the board. First of all, it's illegal for the federal government to levy taxes other than income tax, which is outlined in the 16th Amendment. Um, the same amendment prevents the federal government from levying such across-the-board taxes in the states. Uh, could they circumvent the 16th Amendment? Sure, they could pack the court which they've threatened to do, and they could use the Supreme Court to basically sidestep or even overturn the 16th Amendment, uh, but they would have to do something like that. They could also legislate out the 16th Amendment, uh, but they would need votes to do that. You would have to put a whole bunch of Democrats uh, in office uh, in Congress so that they could pass it legally, but we know that that's not the Democrats' plan. Their plan isn't to pass 
laws that are unpopular to the people. They know they can't do that. That's why they fight so hard with these Supreme Court nominations, because they can pass things through the Supreme Court that the voter would never agree to. Uh, Second, they could force states and counties to enact the tax themselves under threat of pulling federal funding. Um, Once the state or jurisdiction were to comply, now they're getting that additional revenue, the federal government could reduce the amount of funding that they're giving to the states by that same amount, and then the federal government has that money. So they didn't take it directly from the people, they took it from the states and forced the state to take it from the people. So this is a legal loophole at best, but certainly one they could try to do. Uh, Trump, in his tax cut job act of 2017, uh, uh, leveled out the top tier individual rate at 37%. Remember we mentioned uh, Biden wants that at almost 40%. Capital gain, I'm sorry, limited uh, a certain itemized deductions, but raised the standard deduction. So there weren't as many things you could itemize, but he raised the standard deduction. Also, I'm sorry, on the top tier individual rate, in his second term, uh, Trump has said there would be a 10% tax cut for middle income taxpayers. Uh, 20, it's right now at 22%, it would go down to 15. Um, that's for middle income, not the highest tax rate, but middle income. Um, in the second term, on the uh, itemized deductions issue, uh, he would extend this benefit beyond the 2025 deadline that it has now. Uh, third, capital gains would be protected uh, still. Uh, Biden has said he was going to throw that out and kick it back up. Uh, Benefits would disappear above a million. Uh, In Trump's second term, uh, he would reduce tax rates for capital gains and create capital gain tax holiday for a limited time. Don't have any time limits or anything on that yet, but it's certainly a better benefit than eliminating it, uh, which Biden has said he would do. The maximum child tax credit is 2000 Remember, Biden wants it at 8000 uh, In the second term, uh, Trump says that the child tax credit uh, would require a Social Security card to get the benefit. Um, right now, a lot of the uh, that tax money goes toward uh, illegal immigration or people that aren't in the country legally, um, which is something that the Democrat Biden side wants to expand. Uh, The corporate tax rate would stay at 21%. Uh, Biden, as we said, wants it at 28%. But we did not lose that tax revenue. Remember, we made up for it in changes with World Trade, NATO, all of those deals, the USMCA, which uh, we'll talk about, uh, also brought more money in. Uh, If you remember, when Uh, Trump's tax cut job act went into effect, companies moved back to the U.S. Companies already in the U.S. raised wages and even increased 401k matches uh, and benefits for their employees. Um, His second term plans to keep the same, encouraging 
economic job growth. It's one of his big staples in his plan to rebuild the economy to better than it even was before the pandemic. Um, He has no plan to change or reduce Social Security despite all of the rhetoric rhetoric you hear on campaign ads and and in debates. Um, He recently issued an executive order postponing Social Security tax from September 1st to the end of the year and has said that the reprieve could be permanent. Um, I know that's been widely criticized. That's scary to hear. Social Security could be uh, affected that way. But you have to understand that Social Security is at the beck and call of Congress, of specifically the House of Representatives Finance Committee, who has dipped into it and used it for many things, including illegal immigration. Uh, So if it's going to be mishandled and misused and it's not going to be around when I come time when it comes time for me or my children to claim any of it that I paid into then I would rather he does something else uh, <clears throat> the tax cut job act doubled the estate tax exemption to 10 million until 2025 Biden has said he was going to drop it back to 5 million in his second term Trump wants to extend it, that step up beyond 2025 Uh, And then on education, Trump wants to incentivize uh, contributions to state-authorized organizations offering scholarships with a tax credit for such donations. So if your company wants to start a scholarship fund, uh, they would be incentivized with tax credits to provide education opportunities for their employees employees or their children. I'm going to keep going a little bit longer before I take a break and see how far into the economy I can get. It's pretty long. Um, Unemployment is next. Biden, um, 700,000 jobs were lost in 2008 and 2009. Granted, that was the Great Depression or uh, recession. I'm sorry, not depression, the Great Recession. Um, And then for the rest of their term, they had gains totaling about 1.3 million by the end of the second term. Uh, they talked about phasing out oil and fracking, which could cause somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 million jobs nationwide. And that's direct jobs. That doesn't include all of the peripheral companies and jobs that, that may be affected negatively or eliminated by phasing out oil and fracking. Um, not to mention raising the prices of gas and natural gas options for energy production. Uh, They want to raise corporate uh, tax rates, which could result in lower pay layoffs and even businesses leaving again as they did in the early 2000s during the beginning of their first term. Um, Black unemployment was coming down under Obama and Biden from a high of 16% Uh, in 2008-2009 to a low of 7.6% in 2016. Um, Trump, on the other hand, showed gains of 600,000 jobs in the first three years. The pandemic did affect 2020, of course, uh, so that one's a little sketchy. By August of this year, 48% of the 1.4 million jobs lost to the pandemic uh, between February and July had been had returned. So 48% of the jobs lost this year have already returned. Um, Trump will keep American jobs here with fair tax rates for corporations and continued focus on energy independence uh, while reducing greenhouse gas emissions even further. We talked about this 
couple of podcasts ago with the Green New Deal, um, we've lessened our greenhouse gas emissions more than any other country in the world. Um, Black unemployment continued to decline to 5.4%, which was the lowest in history before the pandemic. Uh, Hispanics, Asians, and women in general also hit uh, lows in unemployment under Trump prior to the pandemic. The pandemic did hit some of these groups pretty hard with furloughs and layoffs, uh, peaking at 13% unemployment in, in August, but those numbers are already dropping again and are significantly affected by the CARES Act and the Unemployment Plus program that allowed people who were unemployed to stay on unemployment unlimited and make actually more in a lot of cases than they were making working, uh, disincentivizing them to go back to work to jobs that are really needed uh, right now. I can attest to that myself. Uh, It's been very hard to fill two open positions at my company. We finally got them filled, but it took months to find two people who were wanting to come back to work and ready to do so. Um, Economic growth under Biden and Obama, there was 1% uh, growth in the first term. That's when the Great Recession happened. Uh, Biden continuously claims that the economy was booming under Obama uh, and himself, Uh, But economists say that it was slow to moderate recovery at best. Uh, It did improve to 2.3% and peaked at 3.1% in 2015, um, but declined again after that a little bit, but still was positive. Um, Middle class income declined due to the Great Recession from 58K average household income to to under 56,000. and, and didn't bounce back in the eight years completely. Uh, the stock market started at 1417 in 2007, tanked at 805 in 2008, rose to around 2100 by the end of 2016 uh, as America emerged from the recession. Um, certainly not booming, but positive. So we'll give credit where credit's due. Uh, Trump had increases in his first three years of 2.2, 2.3, and 3.0% growth uh, in those first three years. Obama only topped those numbers in three of his eight years. Uh, 2020 is projected at negative 6.5% by the Federal Reserve due to the uh, pandemic. Uh, But the numbers just released two days ago show that 33% growth from... uh, from where it was. Now, granted, you can't just take that 33% and say, wow, we're talking 2 and 3%, and now we're talking 33%. Remember, we lost huge in the first half of this year. So if you lose 30% and gain back 33%, you didn't really gain 33%. But it's an enormous turnaround in a short period of time. So don't let the media fool you into thinking that these numbers are shady in some way. They're not. When factored out annually, that 33% translates to about 7.4% annualized, which is still more than double any previous year, right? Trump's highest was 3.4 and Obama's highest was 3.1. Okay. So middle-class uh, income is next. Uh, 
under Trump, it's been up from that 56K area where it was to about 63,000, largely due to tax cuts on individuals, which estimated somewhere in the neighborhood of $6,500 back to the average family. There's been a lot of pushback on, on campaign ads about people saying that their tax return is lower than it was under Obama. Of course it is, because because you're paying less taxes. Anybody who judges their uh, success based on how big of an income tax return is not a good financial manager, okay? You're giving the government your money to hold for a year for free, and then you're asking for it back. If you make a mistake on your tax return, the government gets to keep some of your money, okay? Uh, I would trust that the people listening to this podcast would do a better job of help of using their money, investing their money and making their money grow than the government does because they're not making it grow at all for you. Any money they make on your money, they keep. You only get back the principal that you paid in. So you should be paying as little as in taxes as possible as you should be filing a tax return that ends up as close to zero as possible. Um, So these campaign ads are just shockingly ignorant. Uh, Stock market. Uh, It started at 2100 when Trump took over, approximately. It steadily rose to 3300 until the pandemic drop in early uh, 2020. Kind of dropped back to where it was, 2100. That's why you see all those memes and posts about how uh, even after the pandemic, uh, our our stock market is no worse than it was at best under Obama. It's true. The numbers show it. Um, it has rebounded since to 34.44, which is higher than it was pre-pandemic um, in August, despite continued pandemic shutdowns and even some of them getting worse. Uh, I'm going to take this break now. Uh, And we'll talk about the Pelosi stimulus agenda, and then we'll get into trade and healthcare. They won't be as long of topics, but they're important, and we need to know what we're voting for. Thank you, and I'll be right back. All right, guys, welcome back. I know this is a long one. I apologize. But we're down to the wire here. The election is in three days. And I, I really pray that we get this right. So I'm going to get right back into it. I'm going to work quickly and hopefully we can get this done without too much more of your time. Uh, we're going to talk about now the Pelosi stimulus agenda. Um, we've heard a lot about it. She keeps claiming that Trump's holding her back. Trump doesn't have a say in the matter. Uh, until uh, the the House agrees, which they have because they're predominantly Democrat, uh, and the Senate agrees. The Senate is not going to pass anything uh, that has a ridiculous uh, bill. Uh, We're already, we've added trillions to the debt. Um, They're looking to pass a bill that's fair, um, but doesn't decimate the future of the economy. I mean, all of this is going to have to get paid back at some point um, into our government or we just destabilize our economy. So um, what is Trump calling the pork that he wants removed? He says he'll pass a pork-free bill. Um, 
and he he claims that the Senate will agree to it if it's a pork-free bill. What is he calling the pork? Uh, Betsy McCauley, McCauley of the New York Post in the beginning of October identified some things that Pelosi's got on the bill that really has nothing to do with stimulus. It has nothing to do with COVID or the pandemic. Uh, so let me go through a few of those. First of all, Pelosi's bill promises school districts $225 billion, but only $5 billion of that, or 2%, would go to making schools safer by improving air quality, installing sinks, or hygiene upgrades. Uh, the rest is a teacher's union protection plan. Uh, school districts that economize and reduce per-pupil spending or change labor contracts are automatically ineligible for this stimulus funding. Um, so that's exactly what it is. It's a teacher's union protection plan. Uh, it also allocates $417 billion uh, to state and local governments with no strings. Um, I talked about this before. The numbers vary from article to article. Uh, that's why it's a different number than I said before. I think it was 365 or something like that. But there are little pieces, parts that um, this writer added in together or lumped together. Um, this is a lost opportunity to rescue cities that are turning into ghost towns because uh, either employees fear the virus or businesses or companies are still having them work remotely. Um, the money should go to environmental, environmental improvements like air cleaning systems, antimicrobial coatings on desks, keyboards uh, to improve workplace and transit safety and get people back to work. Instead, the money... Uh, close to close to an amount of the entire defense budget of the United States, this $417 billion, uh, would be consumed plugging budget holes, and it would be gone by the end of the year with no discernible long-term results. Uh, there's also $120 billion, notice only $120 billion here, for grants for restaurants. Uh, this funding uh, is stipulated in her bill with possibly unconstitutional preferences for minor minority and female-owned businesses specifically. Now, I'm all for that, but I think it should be doled out equally, not given preference based on the color of the person's skin or the gender of the person who owns the business. Uh, men and women, black and white, Hispanic, Asian, are all affected by these businesses being closed. Um, so uh, many restaurants with this stipulation would see no help, which could affect up to 160,000 jobs or more um, across the country. Uh, actual COVID-related funding, 200 now, hear this correctly, million, 200 million for vaccine awareness campaign, 20 million to upgrade centers for disease control and prevention's uh, disease early alert system, which completely failed in this system in this situation, uh, and 500 million for a nursing strike force uh, for quick response uh, when nursing homes are hit with COVID-19. Uh, I think most of the states, uh, with the possible exception of about six, including ours. Uh, kind of figured out how to handle the nursing home thing. Let's not shove positive patients back in there. Uh, instead, um, facilities were available. Um, 
Trump sent a hospital ship to New York that was never used and they were putting COVID positive patients in nursing homes. Um, Colleges, college dorms could have been used for this. They were all closed at the time. Uh, They could have been used and cleaned before schools went back. Um, There was also $5 billion for community development block grants that the bill labels as flexible resources. In other words, this would be kind of walking around money for local politicians. They could do whatever they want with it. So in case you were wondering why Trump is so against Pelosi's stimulus bill, uh, it has very little to do with stimulus and COVID and very much to do with the radical left uh, social reorganization agenda. Uh, Trade is next. I'm going to go quickly through this one. It's important, but I'm going to focus on uh, NAFTA versus the USMCA. We talked about earlier um, a little bit, but some uh, basic tenets of it are that auto components built in the US, Canada, or Mexico would receive um, zero uh, tariffs as long as uh, 62.5% of them were made in those co- the, these three countries. Uh, that's up to 75%. So forcing um, manufacturers to produce more in these three countries would benefit them with zero tariffs. Uh, U.S. dairy products can be exported into Canada's dairy market. Used to be 1%, now it's 3.6%, helping our farmers. Um, There was no automatic ending date for NAFTA. It was unlimited. Um, USMCA has a 16-year limit uh, with a renegotiation date after six years. So we can look at how is it working, what's working, what's not working, and we can tweak it. Uh, so that it's to the best benefit of all three countries. Um, They call it de minimis levels for duty-free shipments um, into Canada, specifically went from $20 to $40. So um, there's less customs, red tape, bureaucracy, uh, up to $40 shipments. Um, So, I, I mean, that's a, that's a benefit. It's a small benefit, but remember when Trump said that we're going to build a wall and Mexico's going to pay for it, he didn't mean that he was going to grab the Mexican president by his feet and shake money out of his pockets. This is what he was talking about. He was going to rework trade deals so that America was benefiting from trade with these countries more than they had been previously and eliminating countries that were in NAFTA. Uh, or weren't holding up their end of the bargain, okay? Uh, Biden and Pelosi both agreed on camera that USMCA was better than NAFTA. Obama and Biden administration promised to do it, uh, but failed uh, blaming a Republican Congress, but there was only a Republican majority in Congress for two of their eight-year term, two years of their eight-year term. So it just wasn't a priority in trade and foreign policy just wasn't a strong suit for either of them and won't be under a Biden administration. Let's talk about health care a little bit because this gets sketchy. Um, a lot of what I got from this is from a couple of sources. Um, 
Allie Beth Stuckey uh, has a podcast called Relatable. It's number 318. So if you want to even delve deeper into this specific topic, you can listen to that. Uh, She and I both use the Heritage Foundation uh, to get more information on uh, Biden's plan, which he doesn't call Medicare for all, but it really is a, a, a version of Medicare for all or at least could turn into that very shortly. Um, Most Americans, even many of those not making much uh, money right now, would pay more in new taxes than they would save uh, from no longer paying for private health care. Medicare for all would eliminate all private health care and force everybody onto a government-sponsored single-payer system. Um, The Heritage Foundation claims that 75% of Americans will be worse off Okay, income after taxes would shrink by an average of about ten thousand five hundred fifty four dollars a year. Now, do the math. What are you paying into your um, corporate or your company sponsored health care plan uh, or whatever health care plan you're using? What are you paying into that on an average year? And will it add up to that ten thousand? And that's after taxes. Uh, Household income would decline by uh, almost $6,000 per year in switching from employer-based to government-sponsored health care. Uh, right now, most workers and their employers pay about 15.3 cents on the dollar in payroll taxes. Medicare for all would require an additional 21.2 cents on every dollar that every American earns to fund it, to pay for it. Um, That doesn't mean it would go up from 15.3 to 21.2. That means an additional 21.2. So 15.3 to 36.5. Okay? Uh, So think about that coming out of your paycheck every month uh, instead of your little measly deductible for your, uh, not deductible, but uh, principal for your insurance. Um, the plan would abolish private coverage and force everyone onto the government plan, which I uh, mentioned. There's more taxes, which would be less disposable income. They gave some examples on the Heritage Foundation website. Uh, a family uh, with two children, uh, $97,000 income. The tax rate would go from 25.9 to 47.3, uh, costing them over $9,000 in income. A single person with $41,000 income, the tax rate goes from 30 to 51.6, a 3,500 plus loss per year. A single mom with two kids making 32,000, barely making ends meet, uh, the tax rate goes from 5.6 right now under Trump's tax plan to 29.2, potentially $1,500 to $2,000 loss for that person who definitely can't afford it uh, with two kids at that pay rate. So Medicare for all would make most Americans worse off financially, not better off. Um, Robert Moffitt, PhD at the Heritage Foundation, wrote an article called Sacrificing Public and Private Health for Medicare for All in January of this year. He talked about the affected people. We have about 30 million currently uninsured people, which is less than 10% of America's population. Um, And those are the people that we're always hearing about we need to get health care for, right? That's what all of these Bernie and Biden and 
uh, AOC, that's what they're always crying about, that there are Americans that don't have health care. Well, 15 million of those Americans are already eligible for coverage under Medicaid uh, or the Children's Health Insurance Program or ACA, which is Obamacare, but do not enroll. Uh, Four million more are eligible for employer-sponsored insurance, but do not enroll, especially since Trump removed the individual mandate. Um, The fine slash tax, if you don't have coverage that Obama instituted, the Supreme Court overthrew. Um, At least 4 million more people are here illegally and thus ineligible for any type of medical coverage uh, under current uh, law. And then 2 million have annual incomes that exceed 400% of the federal poverty level. So whatever they determine is the poverty level, multiply that times 400%. And if they make that or more, they're not eligible um, for uh, ACA insurance. They need to buy their own or provide their own or get it through their business. Uh, 2.5 million uninsured who are poor Americans who live in states that didn't expand Medicaid, so they're not eligible in their state. This problem can easily be solved through targeted measures without destroying all existing coverage. So basically, out of that 30 million people, only about 2.5 million want coverage that can't have it or don't have it. Um, That would be an easy fix uh, for our politicians to get them insurance Uh, They could form some kind of insurance coalition, which combines them, much like our companies do, to get a lower rate for those 2.5 million uninsured, um, or find a way to subsidize rolling them into uh, Medicaid uh, that is offered in many other states for low income. Uh, The cost of Medicare for all, they estimate in the first 10 years it would cost uh, the American taxpayer 54 to 61 trillion dollars that's in 10 years so about five or six trillion a year Uh, the sanders medicare for all plan would cut medical providers rates by an estimated 40 percent below private reimbursement so hospitals and doctors would make far less money um, helping everyone Right now, they get very little for helping people on Medicaid, but they make up for it by what they get from the insurance companies for helping people who have private insurance. So it balances. There would be no balance. They would just take massive pay cuts and layoffs. Um, This would inevitably mean increased wait times, longer delays, and denials of care that you hear as criticisms of all of the countries that have this type of system like Canada, England, uh, countries like that. Okay. Um, look it up. Don't trust me on it. Check it out. Uh, current Medicare, uh, covering only about 15% of Americans loses tens of billions of dollars annually. They estimate it at roughly 10%, uh, or $50 billion. The heritage foundation estimates in waste, fraud, abuse, or improper, Um, billing according to the government accountability office so the government uh, office that's in charge of determining how much waste there is says it's up to 10% so add that 10% onto that 54 to 61 trillion all right 
because that's the amount of waste that will get tacked onto it. Uh, small clinics would definitely disappear. They wouldn't be able to uh, charge enough for their services to pay their people uh, and stay in business. Uh, profits uh, that are used for research and innovation would largely disappear. Um, innovation and research would be fully dependent on government grants. Um, but if this Medicare for all system is as mismanaged as Medicare for 15 million is, there isn't going to be any money for grants uh, for research and development. So that would disappear potentially. And uh, the world health would decline if America was out of the business of medical innovation. Uh, Next, I want to talk about the Supreme Court and the Constitution. Um, again, uh, Ali Beth Stuckey had a great uh, interview with Ted Cruz. He also did an interview with Mark Levin on Fox. You can probably get that on YouTube or on Fox's site recently, talking about his book, One Vote Away, <clears throat> which really delves into Supreme Court decisions, um, specifically ones that were 5-4, uh, that if the court were packed or if the court goes the wrong way, one seat, one vote on the Supreme Court could change the way we live completely. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about a few amendments in situations. I'm going to start with the First Amendment, right? Freedom of speech, freedom of religion. We all hold this one dear to our hearts, right? Freedom of uh, expression, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. Um at least I would hope we do. Um, the landmark case Citizens United uh, versus FEC in 2010 uh, charged that Citizens United produced a film that was anti-Hillary Clinton on pay-per-view. Uh, during the original oral arguments, the Deputy Solicitor General uh, Malcolm Stewart, representing the FEC, uh, argued that under Austin versus Michigan Chamber of Commerce, the government would have the power to, now, lean in, the government would have the power to ban books if those books contained even one sentence expressly advocating the election or defeat of a candidate uh, and were published or distributed by a corporation or labor union. Um, in response to this line of questioning, uh, Stewart further argued that under Austin, uh, the government could ban the digital distribution of political books sold over Amazon or any other source, uh, and could arguably go into, this was about a movie, not a book, so they could ban movies, they could ban TV shows, they could ban anything they wanted to if they didn't like what it had to say about our government or our elected officials. We see social media doing it right now, okay? We see Twitter and Facebook um, either fact-checking us with false fact-check information or deleting our accounts and tweets uh, outright. They deleted the whole New York Post story that broke the Hunter Biden scandal. Uh, they blocked their account for multiple weeks leading into an election. So next, Second Amendment. Uh, near and dear to many of us uh, is the right to bear arms. Uh, the, in District of Columbia versus Heller in 2008, uh, Heller was a law enforcement officer in D.C. and carried a gun for work 
uh, but DC law prohibited him from keeping one in his home unless it was disassembled and trigger locked. What's the point of having a gun for home protection if you got to put it together while you're being invaded? Um, the uh, activities, uh, and this is a quote from the findings, the activities that the amendment protects are not limited to militia service, nor is an individual's enjoyment of the right contingent upon his or her continued or intermittent enrollment in the militia. So they basically ruled that it is an individual right. The government was arguing that this only related to militias and we don't need militias. So individuals have no rights under the Constitution to keep and bear arms. Um, This is pretty crazy because if you know anything about the militias, the Minutemen, their guns were in their homes, and when they were called to duty, they came with their guns. They didn't go to an armory and uh, show up and be issued a firearm. They had their own. Um, So in both of these cases... Four justices argued that that the amendment guarantees no such rights, that the government does have the right to ban books or uh, speech, uh, and that the government absolutely has the right to prevent individuals from keeping and bearing arms. Four justices went completely against what the Constitution says, and if a fifth one had, your life would be different today. Um, the Tenth Amendment. Uh, the federal government is limited to only the powers granted in the Constitution. Uh, Cooper versus Aaron in 1958 aroused, uh, I'm sorry, arose out of the Bo- Brown versus Board of Education case in 1954, um, which was desegregating schools. Um, when Arkansas governor tried to fight the ruling, uh, citing states' rights, it held in the 10th amendment. So, uh, he did not want to desegregate. Uh, so he fought it using the 10th amendment. Uh, and then Cooper versus Aaron came out of that. And obviously we did segregate. So, uh, the Supreme court ruled, uh, properly there. Uh, but again, only barely. Uh, Prince versus us in 1997 was used to assert that the federal government could use state governments as an instrument of the national government. So they could exercise this power by encouraging states to implement national programs consistent with national minimum standards. Sound familiar? We talked about that uh, with our uh, suburbs, uh, destroying the suburbs uh, podcast and with the Green New Deal podcast. Um, This system is known as cooperative federalism, but it's really just legalized extortion of the states by the federal government to go around uh, the 10th Amendment. Um, Some examples of this would be the nationwide uh, speed limit of 55, which was later repealed, uh, the .08 legal blood alcohol limit, uh, nationwide 21-year drinking age. Uh, Those are examples of where the federal government could mandate to the states and potentially fine or defund Uh, road funding or whatever they want to get states to go in line, which is exactly what they tried to do with the state uh, nationwide 55 mile an hour speed limit was take away infrastructure money 
uh, if states didn't fall in line. Um, Next, we'll talk about separation of church and state. I'm sorry, guys, but this is not in the Constitution, contrary to popular belief. Uh, Look it up. Read the Constitution for yourself. I would encourage that. Uh, It's not being taught in the schools anymore. So if you're going to learn it and know what's in the Constitution, you're going to have to do it yourself. Um, Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptist Association in 1802. And I'm going to quote part of it. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions. I contemplate with sovereign reverence that the act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should not, should make no laws respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. In this letter, as you can see, I mean, the the way it's written is in uh, language spoken then and how they use the language then. So it's maybe a little hard to understand. What he was doing was assuring the Danbury Baptist Association that the government that they were forming or had formed would protect their religious liberties with a wall of separation between church and state. The state would not infringe upon their religious rights. Okay? That's exactly the opposite of the interpretation that we have today of of this separation, okay? Uh, And that started with Everson versus the Board of Education. Um, I think that was in like 1947. I didn't write down the date I should have. Um, That both uh, affirming and dissenting judges on this case uh, were decisive that the Constitution required required not that it stated already but that it required a sharp separation between government and religion so basically what they're saying is the constitution's wrong and should have required a sharp separation between government and religion and their strongly worded opinions paved the way to a series of later court decisions that taken together brought about a complete flip in what was meant by separation of church and state um, in in legislation, in public education, and in other policies mattering uh, involving matters of religion. Um, Wallace versus Jaffrey, a later decision, um, I think it was 1985, uh, was the decision on silent prayer in schools. So somehow our Supreme Court determined that the founding fathers wanted to outlaw silent prayer in church in schools. I don't know if you know this, but the very first Bible published in America was published by Congress for use in the schools. So I'm pretty sure the founding fathers did not intend to eliminate silent prayer or any prayer from our schools. Uh, The First Amendment requires that a statute must be invalidated if it is entirely motivated by a purpose to advance religion. This is what Wallace versus Jeffrey came up with instead. So I'm no lawyer, and I have a better understanding of the Constitution than 
Supreme Court justices of that time did? I don't think so. This is just activist legislation, active, activist judicial, I'll say it, misconduct. They're misinterpreting the Constitution to re-legislate America and bypass the Constitution. Uh, Roe versus Wade, this is another example of that. Roe versus Wade, believe what you want to believe about it, and, and I hope most of you believing or listening to this podcast uh, are, are pro-life. Um, but Roe versus Wade, uh, the Supreme Court should have never been involved in this. This should have been a legislated issue, and it was until the Democrats decided we're never going to get popular vote on this, so we're going to have to find another way. Um, The Supreme Court website states, the court is charged with ensuring the American people the promise of equal justice under law, thereby also functions as guardian and interpreter of the Constitution. That's their mandate. Um, Abortion is not and never was a constitutional right. It's not in the Constitution. So what do we do if we want to change something that's in the Constitution because we believe that it's a new issue in our society that didn't exist in the Founding Fathers' time? We amend the Constitution. In order to do that, we have to legislate. but legislation takes agreement, right? If if you don't agree with your congressman, your representatives, your senators, you vote them out. Uh, and that's what was happening. When they came up with these radical ideas, they were getting voted out and they were getting voted down. So uh, they bypassed it. And when they felt that they had a court that was appropriately activist, they launched into action. Uh, it should have been legislated. It wasn't. The court, they took advantage of this activist court and got it forced on America. If it were to be overturned, we hear a lot of stuff about outlawing abortion, abolishing abortion. That's not what would happen at all. It would revert back to the states to determine their own course forward. Um, And I don't know where we are as a country on this. Uh, I think we're well more than... 50% of our country doesn't believe in it, uh, that believes that all life is sacred uh, and that a fetus is a human life. Um, But I'm sure there are states that would instantly pass this bill for themselves uh, again. And I know there are states that probably wouldn't. Um, The Democrats, the radical left, doesn't want to have any part of this uh, legislation. They are threatening to pack the court because they didn't get their way. The president did exactly what the Constitution calls for him to do. He appointed a replacement nominee, and the Senate did exactly what the Constitution says they're supposed to do, uh, and they uh, appointed that nominee, who is eminently qualified, by the way, uh, which everybody seems to forget. Um, So since... Radical left has immediately, uh, when she was announced and appointed, uh, packed the court. Almost to a person, they all said it. So that's their answer. They're going to, if they get power on Tuesday, they're going to increase the number of justices in the Supreme Court to give themselves uh, an unimpeachable uh, majority. Um, 
and and then that's that's it that it's going to be over and and what could be the possible results of stacking the court um we could have more laws like this passed uh against us uh we could lose our first amendment we can radically change or lose our second amendment the 10th amendment could be reworked to force states to accept government policies like uh abolishment of school choice and critical race theory and whatever else they want to force on the states, uh, they could rewrite the 10th Amendment so that the states would have to comply. Um, it's, it's bad. It, it's, it's legitimately bad, all the things that can happen. We've heard them say that they want to ab- abolish the Electoral College. Basically, abolishing the electoral, electoral College would eliminate the middle two-thirds of America from having any say in their lives. Uh, they, their vote will never again count. Um, we are not a democracy. The 51% was never intended to rule over the 49. We're a republic, a democratic republic, um, but everybody has a voice because of the Electoral College. The other thing that may be affected is the Senate. Right now, the House of Representatives uh, is population-based representation, and the Senate is equal representation for every state. So each state has two representatives. Um, This is to make sure that the smallest states have some say and recourse in our politics. Um, They've talked about adding D.C. and Puerto Rico as states, uh, knowing that they are likely to be blue or liberal states. That would ensure or at least slant the favor in their direction in the Senate. And if they don't get their way that way, because that's a lot of legislation for them to pass through to get uh, the two states added, um, they will just turn the Senate into a representative population-based representative body like the House of Representatives is. So all of these things could happen and and could result in drastic changes to the way we live our lives. Um, I've seen a lot of people say it's not Trump versus Biden. It's it's America ver- that's on the line, okay? Uh, I, I get it. Trump's sometimes a tough pill to swallow. Uh, he says a lot of things that you wish he hadn't. Um, I feel like he's been much better lately about it. Um, maybe he's starting to, to mellow a little bit on, on how he chooses his words. I don't know, but, um, I, I would take the doctor with the bad, uh, bedside manner and the impeccable skill over the doctor who has a great bedside manner who's incompetent. Um, I don't know about you, but I would. So I would encourage you all to do your civic duty, vote. Vote for someone, vote your heart, vote your faith. Um, Most importantly, get out there on Tuesday and rise up and vote.